Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 18th of March 2012, entitled Biblical Marriage in Blasphemous Days, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. to Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Right, if you'd like to be opening your Bibles this evening to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1-7. through 7. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, again beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the Word, they also may without the Word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair, of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Father, we do thank you so much again, Lord, that we can have this privilege, the opportunity, the freedom, the place to be able to come together this evening in your house. Father, we thank you for each one that you have given health and strength, the ability to be able to be here this evening. Father, now as we meet together around your word, we do pray earnestly, Lord. Pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help those things that might distract us, that might take our minds away from, uh, from whatever that you have for us this evening. Lord, we pray that those things would be put away. Help us now, Lord, to just open our hearts that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us that which we need. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I thought as we began this morning, and I did say, and I warned you that it was a little different for a Mother's Day sermon probably, but certainly as we have looked at the passages and all the things we looked at this morning, in the first instance, it does us no good to set aside a day that's called Mother's Day, a day that we say that we're going to honor the mothers if day by day in our lives, in our lifestyles, in our speech, in the things that we do and how we do them, if we don't honor mothers every day of the year. And of course, we looked at a number of things, and of course, we find certainly looking in Scripture, first of all, that yes, there's no doubt that God says that we're to honor our fathers and our mothers. We find the consequences of doing so and not doing so as we uh, looked there this morning. We also saw that in the time that you and I live, we said that if we're going to honor mothers, then the role of motherhood must be defined by God. And of course, the world is trying to define motherhood totally different. They're trying to define Christianity different. They're trying to define what a family is in very different terms than what God says. 
And so as we began to look there this morning, we say with no malice in our hearts, but with love for those that, that maybe have sins that needs to be forgiven. But God has defined marriage and what it was. God created man and woman. God did not create a man for a man and a woman for a woman. He created woman for the man. That was his means. God himself was the one that constituted marriage there in the Garden of Eden with one man and for one woman. We find that all through scriptures, we find how that God's blessing upon that and how that God defines the family and how serious it is when sin begins to go outside of those bounds. We talked about that in, in our society, of course, many have already done it and many are still trying to do it in our own parliament at this time, trying to redefine what marriage really is. But we've got to stick to what God is. If we're going to truly honor mothers, then we've got to honor motherhood as God defines it. Our thought today as we look through these passages is biblical marriage in blasphemous days. You say, well, preacher, does that really concern me? Well, it concerns everybody here in one way or another because you're part of a family. You might be a husband, you might be a wife, it might be something that's future for you, it might be something that's past. Every one of us are sons and daughters of somebody. We all have a mother somewhere. But more importantly, as in the finds of what we're looking at, though granted our direction this evening will be most towards the husbands and the wives, because as we look at the home, the reality that we want to come to see and visualize very clearly is what God defines a home to be and what God wants a home to be and what God wants a family to be. And folks, we're all there. We're all part of families somewhere. And we need to relate within those families as God would have us to. We said very clearly this morning, the question was asked, and I don't think that I ever got around to it, of how. I guess in some ways that I did. You know, how is it that so many Christians today would just absolutely accept and believe the fact that, that homosexuality is just an alternative lifestyle? It's just another choice that people make. We find that it's not only in society, but we said it's entered into the church. We have homosexuals standing in the pulpits. We have churches that condone same-sex marriages. We have all these things going on that not many years ago we would have never even begun to think that we would see those things in our lifetimes in the countries that we live in. And I said this morning that in most of the countries where that's happening, folk, it's not the non-Christian countries. It's those Christians that have defined themselves as Christianity being their main faith where most of these struggles and problems are taking place today. We find that the only way, the only way, and I say this again with no malice, the only way any church, the only way any preacher, the only way any Christian can get around the fact and say that it is not sin is simply to redefine the Word of God because God defines it clearly. Oh, there's many articles you can read where they'll say, oh, that it didn't mean that in the original. The translators have taken and, and warped the Word of God because that was their mindset and that was what it meant. Well, I challenge you. you know, they've got all those things out there. 
But you go to the Word of God and you read the Word of God and God defines it clearly. So we find that in God's plan, in God's order of things, that a home begins with a husband and a wife. We said this morning that God created one of the most beautiful things. The thing is, we can label it what we want. We can call it sex. We can call it lust. We can call it all of these things that is going on out there in the world. And bottom line is that the world has come to a point to where it's just no big deal. It's no big deal. They have cheapened what God meant to be something very special to take place within the family of one husband and one wife and nowhere in any circumstances outside of that. And we all here today, we have a mom and a dad somewhere. Now, God doesn't tell us to honor them just because they were perfect and they got it all right and they never made a mistake. God doesn't even tell us to honor them only if they were a Christian. The simple truth is they are do our honor and our respect, regardless of the mistakes they have made, regardless of what we think was right and wrong in all that they did. I want to direct our attention this evening, and I'll try not to keep you long, two things that I believe that we see here in this passage. And before we do that, I said that we could go back and we could begin at chapter 1 and verse 1. And we could read all of First Peter up to this and read on afterwards. And really, it just, it just all fits together, and there's so much there. But I would like to back up into chapter 2, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 9. And I want you just to listen and get the context of a few things that are being discussed here in this letter. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation, remember that word means more than just speak, but it's our, our conduct, the way that we live, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but it's the servants of God. Honor all men. 
Love thy brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Fear. Who is he talking about here? The servants, the ones that is working for someone else, the way that you're to treat that person that's in authority over you in your job and whatever you do. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, not just when they treat you nice, but even when they treat you in ways that aren't so nice. Not just when they're being sweet, but when they're being mean. He says, for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And then as we come to our reading in chapter 3, I said this morning that the first thing that I wanted to direct our attention to is that in, in a biblical home, in a biblical family, in a biblical marriage, there are some biblical imperatives for the wife. There are some things that if that marriage is going to be biblical, God has given us some things that we can either only obey or disobey. And I'm simply saying to you that we can still have a marriage, but we can't have a biblical marriage if we're not doing it by God's standards that he gives us in the Bible. The first biblical imperative for the wife that we find here is found in verse 1. He says, likewise, likewise what? Well, keep in mind what we just read. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, he just got through telling us in the preceding chapter that some things aren't going to come easily. It's easy to be nice to somebody when they're being nice to you, but it's not so easy when they're not being nice to you. Now, there's something that's important here. We said the first biblical imperative for the wife is a submissive approach. A submissive approach. What do you mean? Well, again, that doesn't come natural. She is not out to prove her rights as a woman. She's not out to prove that she has just as much say as anybody else. We find that... This has nothing to do whatsoever with inferiority. 
but it has to do with submission. Now, what did he just tell us in chapter 2? What is the likewise all about here? First of all, he said that we must be in submission to the government that's over us. Whether they're kings, whether they're governors, as Christians, we've got to be submissive to that. Now, we know we've talked about these things before. We are never under any circumstances, we even said this morning, to violate God's word. But as long as we can stay within God's words, we are to be submissive, first of all, to those. It's all about authority. You see, God has an order in society. The Bible says he's the one to set those governments up there, yes, so that they can deal with the evildoers to make sure that they're punished and also to commend the ones that do good. God has an order. Society It'd be a pretty wild place if there was nobody in charge. <laughs> if everybody could just do their own thing. Matter of fact, we find as we look around the world today, there is a lot of unrest. Because in some places, the governments have lost that authority. Some places, maybe they didn't deserve it. <laughs> but the simple truth is, is that for what we're looking at here, I want you to recognize and realize he said that we're to be in subjection and submission to those authorities. But then he went on. Servants, you've got to be in subjection or submission to your masters. In other words, in our jobs, there's got to be authority in the workplace. There's authority in everything that we do in life. Somebody has got to be responsible. Somebody has got to hold that authority. We find that God is a God of order. There is an order in the home, and it's got nothing whatsoever to do now, I could ask you, and you could probably all raise your hands, how many of you feel pretty certain sometimes that you're a little bit wiser about some of the choices that are being made than a lot of the politicians that's up there doing it? <laughs> I'll raise my hand. Amen. <laughs> One of them's exactly what we were talking about this morning that they're trying to get through right now. The simple truth is, though, is I can't just suddenly break the law and violate the law but I can stand up and say, this is what's right and this is what you ought to be doing. How many times have you maybe, if you're working and you've been on a job and your boss has told you to do something that you, you knew, it, that, that, was just, that was just stupid. <laughs> There's no way that that's the way it's going to work. Well, thing is, you know, if, if you're in a position where you can suggest that, I wouldn't call him stupid, but if you might want to suggest a different way, then that might be possible. But in the end... He's the boss. You do what he says if you want to keep that job. As Christians, we're to be in submission to that authority. Likewise, chapter 3 says. That's the context he's giving it. Likewise, wives, there's also an order in the home. God has given an order. The home would be chaos if ultimately somebody isn't responsible. We find that the Bible gives us explanations, which we won't have time to go into this evening. But in fact, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. We find in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when he's talking there about the woman and the fact that uh, uh, she is not to uh, teach nor serve authority over the man. And he goes on to explain why. Because it was she that was tempted back in the Garden of Eden. God has an order. 
She was created for man. Man was created and woman was created for him. God has an order. I said this morning, this submissive approach in the home is not one that always comes easily. And that doesn't mean that on the one hand, that God has given you a dictator and that you don't have any say. God has given an order. What's really hard sometimes is when people find themselves in situations where one is a Christian and the other is not a Christian. Well, the Bible says that he doesn't say, well, if you become a Christian and your spouse is not, you no longer follow this order. No, as a matter of fact, it goes on very clearly to say here, if any obey not the word, who is that? That's the one that's not a Christian. They also may without the word be one by the conversation of the wives, by the way that the, the wife is living her life. You see, if he's not a Christian, by giving him the respect that God has laid down for the home, that approach is probably the only way that he would ever come to Christ. If he is a Christian, then that submission would certainly come a lot easier for the wife if that husband is truly loving her as Christ loved the church and was willing to give his life for that wife. That makes it easy if he's doing his part right. God's got an order in the home. It's husband and wife. The wife has got to be willing to commit herself to this submissive approach, but also, also sanctified actions. In other words, it's not really going to do any good to go to church on Sunday. It's not really going to do any good to talk the talk if you're not walking the walk. What he's saying here is the wife has a responsibility. Now keep this in mind. In this particular instance that we're reading about here, this is the hard time when the husband is probably not even a Christian. This is the time when it's more difficult. It doesn't matter, Christian or non-Christian, the same thing applies. But he's saying, yes, it's a lot easier when you're getting the good in return. But when you're getting the bad, it doesn't matter. You've got to, first of all, have that submissive approach by you, by you, by your attitude. He might be able to be one to the Lord. But not only that submission to him, but allowing him to see your godly lifestyle, to see that you truly reverence God, to see the place that God has. In other words, you're living that Christian life to the best of your ability. You're living like a Christian ought to be living. You've given him his rightful due as the husband, but you've given God his rightful place as supreme above all. You reverence God and you live your life according to what God has dictated to you in a biblical marriage. The wife, it's imperative that you have this submissive approach, these sanctified actions, and verse 3, I simply call it sensible apparel. What does he say there? Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. What is he talking about? Does that mean that you're never to do anything, never to do anything to fix your hair? Does that mean you should never, ever, ever, ever think about putting any makeup or any jewelry 
And whatever you wear, just try to make it look as bad as you can. That's not what God is saying. But I'll tell you what he is saying. You see, notice that he gives this contrast here in verse 3 and verse 4. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Folks, this is a tough one in our day because there have always been fads and there have always been styles. And I don't think that God anywhere says that you've got to just put on a potato sack and that's it. But I'm saying that God says you're supposed to be dressing in a manner not to call attention to yourself. You see, he's saying all this gold and all this, this, this fancying up the hair and, and putting on clothes that call attention to yourself. He says that's not what a biblical wife is going to do. She's not going to do things as the world would have you to do because here's the problem. We've got the world over here. We've got almost every advertisement that has anything to do. One of the first things they want to do is get some woman up there that's looking sexy, that's getting people's attention. The, the world gives you this idea of what beauty is all about. Well, I'm saying let's get back to the Word of God. What does God say that beauty is? This woman is not concerned about calling attention to herself, to her flesh, to her sexuality, if you would. She is modest. She is modest in the way that she dresses. She's modest in the way that she appears. She knows that true beauty comes from within, not on the outside. She's not caught in that trap of society, the trick of Satan, of calling all this attention to the outward, to the flesh, in all the wrong ways. You see, the Bible's not saying, look as ragged and as ugly as you can. I, I think I've shared with you before. I can still remember as a, as, as a young kid, I wasn't very old, but I did listen sometimes when I was in church. And I remember old preacher Horace Harris. I remember him talking one time about some passage similar to this. And I said, you know, he said that, you know, and, and, and again, you've, you, you've got to take it with his country style. He said, a little paint can make any old barn look better. But he said, you don't have to paint it bright red. <laughs> and, and, and the simple truth is, is that, is that, you know, God's not saying try to look bad. But I'm saying, look, I don't, even, I don't even know how to put it more simple than this. You know, maybe a little makeup can make you feel better about yourself, and your husband might even like it, you know. But when you start putting the makeup that's drawing attention, you know, the most beautiful makeup is when you don't know that it's there. <laughs> the reality is, is that, you know, you can wear some jewelry. I don't, I don't, I don't see where that when you look at everything in context in the scripture that he's prohibiting putting on any jewelry. But you've seen the flashiness. You can wear, you can wear those flashy earrings and necklaces. And, of course, today most stuff is, is, is put in there permanent with, you know, with, 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 with studs or piercings or whatever. But the truth is, is that 
is to call attention to the flesh in some way. When it comes to apparel, all through the scriptures we can find. You know, God doesn't say, look as drab as you can, but he says, always be modest in everything that you do. I mean, I can go through a list for you, but I shouldn't need to. You know, the simple truth is, ladies, when the clothes that you're wearing draw attention to your flesh or to your sexuality, it is not modest. I mean, you can say, well, the guys can just all shut their eyes. <laughs> because I'll guarantee you this, you're going to draw some eyes if you dress in that way. And I believe that it's one thing that we'll have to answer to God, whether you're a man or a woman. You know, guys can do the same thing. I'm not just preaching to the ladies. It just happens to be the, the wives that we're looking at here. But they can be so concerned of showing off what they are in the flesh. You don't want that kind of guy anyway, that that's the way you have to get his attention. If you've got to dress that way to get his attention, you see, if if, if that top is low enough that it starts drawing attention, it's too low. If that, if that dress is short enough that you have to question and wonder, it's too short. Matter of fact, I've always said, if you look in the mirror and you're not sure, you've probably gone too far then <laughs> because you ought to be sure. You know, you don't have to dress in a way that flaunts your sexuality, that draws attention to your flesh in order to dress beautifully. You know, I like to see my wife and my daughters dress beautifully. But the truth is, is that a biblical wife is not going to attire herself. She's not going to wear the attire, the jewelry, the makeup, the whatever, that's drawing attention to herself. And you know what? I think there's something else there. And I don't mean this in a funny way. I mean it in a serious way. You see, this woman, she's not out there showing off herself to the world. One man, one woman. That's the way God meant it to be. She's not going to be married to a husband and then dressing in such a way that she's calling the attention of the world to her. You shouldn't do it even if you're not married. There's other passages for that. But the truth is, is that in a biblical marriage, these are common sense things. The woman. You've got to have the submissive approach. You've got to recognize God has an order. God has set up that authority, and that's what we've got. And most people shun authority in a lot of areas, but in the home, that's the way it is. Those sanctified actions, trying to live godly lives with a reverence, a fear for God that he is the one that you're following with your life. Sensible apparel. Not wearing things that are flashing and drawing attention to yourself, but rather than attiring yourself in ways that will draw attention to your flesh, the fourth thing that you need here in verse 4 is a sweet attitude. A sweet attitude. What does he say? But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Again, you know, most of the time, it's not the quietness that people feel gets them known. A meek spirit. What does it mean to be meek? That means to be humble. 
The truth is she's not trying not only with her clothing, but with her life. Don't put on all those flashy things. What you really want to put on is humility, quietness. Let that which people know you by not be what you look like and how great you do or don't look in the flesh, but let them know you by the spirit that you have. Have a meek spirit, a quiet spirit about you. That's what people should see when they look at it. It's not the outward flashiness that's going to get your attention with this biblical wife. It's that which comes from within. It's that sweet spirit, that sweet attitude, that humble spirit, that quiet spirit. And we find then in verses 5 and 6, we're given examples of these holy women of bygone years that were characterized by these imperatives here for a godly wife. Sarah is specifically used to illustrate these things in her respect for her husband. He said, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. This is the way they adorned themselves. Not with the gold and the apparel and all those things to draw attention to the flesh, but with a meek and a quiet spirit. He goes on to say, being in subjection unto their own husbands. The very things that we just talked about, this was the example that they set. Then he calls out, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, we've kidded about that a lot of times. You know, guys, when was the last time that your wife called you Lord? Yes, Lord. You know, <laughs> I can tell you, I don't think my wife's ever called me Lord, probably never will. <laughs> I'd probably die of a heart attack if she did as well. But, uh, but what is he talking about there? That respect, that submissive approach, that gentle spirit. We find that that godly lifestyle is simply saying that, you know, Sarah gave that example in the way that, yes, she obeyed her husband, calling him Lord, and he says, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement, they're there as examples for you. And may I say this, ladies, I said this this morning, I'll repeat it and I'll move on. That's why I said that in some ways, what we're talking about here, this whole idea of defining motherhood in biblical terms, that whether you have your own children or not, that just as these ladies were examples, the young people in our church, they need examples. Yes, the little kids do. The young ladies, the Bible tells the older ladies to teach the younger ladies. Have they been taught by example? Have they been taught by what they see in your lifestyle? Have they been taught with your approach? Is it one of submissiveness? You know, don't get hung out there. As a matter of fact, in that same passage, if you back up just a little bit, he actually tells all of us to submit to one another. Have they been submitting in a way to recognizing the authority in their lives? The Bible gives us examples. And he says, ladies, that 
You'll be examples of those that come behind you. It's a vital thing. So biblical imperatives. These aren't questionable. If you want a biblical marriage, I know. I know that we live in days that are trying to redefine, and I'm guaranteeing you that you could tell these things to most of the world out there, and they'd think, what kind of a cult have you gotten involved in? You know, they know nothing of these things. There was a time when even most homes in the world had a whole lot more biblical principles in their lives than what is actually in Christian homes today. God gives you the plan. God has a way. And I know these are blasphemous days that we live in. The things they're trying to do, the things that they have done, that doesn't change the fact that we can still have biblical marriages, biblical homes according to God's standard. Now I want to give you a couple of biblical imperatives for the husband as well. He gives them all here in verse 7, but they're, they're no less really. You see, first of all, he says here, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now that doesn't mean let her know that you know it all. <laughs> That doesn't mean to let her know that you've got all the answers and, you know, just, just, just don't worry. I've got it all. You don't need to know anything else except what I know. We find that, in a sense, this is, in a way, a submission on the husband's part. Not to the wife as the leader in the home, but remember, when we take this in context, remember that he is to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The word knowledge here in your Bible really carries, it's not just a word that means he has a whole lot of facts. What the Bible is getting across here is a knowledge that is understanding. Dwell with them. Dwell with your wife according to to knowledge, according to understanding. You need to understand your wife. You need to understand her needs. You need to be willing to put your own needs aside to make them secondary or whatever that it takes because her needs are the ones that are going to be important to you. Dwell with her in knowledge and understanding just as Jesus Christ does for each and every one of us. You see, we don't have an excuse. Ladies, I know. It's a whole lot more to do your submissive bit if the husband's doing his submissive bit. But in the home, you don't answer for what the other person has done right or wrong. It's what you do. You get your part right. You make sure that your part is biblical. Husbands, dwell with them according to understanding understand their needs. Jesus said he loved his bride so much that he was willing to lay down and die for her. There is no cost that is too high. Yes, you might be there as the head of that home, but with that comes a great responsibility. You're to know her needs. You're to protect her. You're to make sure that her needs are met. That's a biblical imperative for the husband. Dwelling with her in understanding you see, it's an understanding headship. He's not just going in there taking the boss role because, boy, he wants his way with everything. 
He's taking that headship, that role of leadership, with himself being in submission to God and with himself trying to understand what it is that his wife needs and it's more important to meet her needs. And you know, that same thing comes right down to every mom and dad just as that takes place in the home. That's exactly what happens then with the mom and the dad when those children come along. Suddenly, it's their needs that matter most. It's more important. It's more important that you know that their needs are met. Might not be a big enough piece of cake that you get a slice of it, you know. <laughs> Might be something far more important than that. But that's what he's saying to us here. An understanding headship. Dwell with them according to knowledge, according to understanding. Secondly, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. I simply call this unreserved honor. Yes, she's the weaker vessel, maybe not mentally, and sometimes not even spiritually, even though the husband has responsibility there. But physically, you know, the husband, as I've said, he's to be her protector. He's to be her provider. He's to see her as the weaker vessel. I know there are exceptions to that in the physical realm sometimes, generally. And in this sense, we find that the husband, as he does that, comes easy for him when she is in that place of honor that she deserves, <laughs> giving honor unto the wife. You see, if she's got that place of being the most special person in his life, he'll honor her because he loves her just like Christ loved the church and died for us unreservedly, unconditionally. She has such a place of unreserved honor in his life, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. His love for her is such that there's nobody quite like her in all the world. He honors her in all that she is and the part that she feels in his life that there's no other human being on the face of the earth they can do that. You see, that's God's plan for the home. Husbands, it's imperative, not just that you take the head, but that you are there with understanding, an understanding headship, that you're in that home with an unreserved honor for your wife, the place that she has, the special person that she is in your life. He says thirdly here, as being heirs together of the grace of life. What do you think the grace of life is there? Being heirs together of the grace of life. You see, he's talking about the marriage in this life. I believe that just as he points out that relationship and in, in comparing it to the Lord Jesus Christ together, they are companions, and they share in the greatest relationship that this earthly life has to offer, being heirs together of the grace of life, being heirs together of enjoying, 
the companionship of this special relationship that's like no other on the face of the earth. You see, he's got to be. I simply call it undeterred companionship. He must be undeterred in his efforts to cultivate and to protect that companionship that the two of them have to be willing to ward off by whatever means necessary anything that would work its way in to hinder that relationship, to break that companionship. They are heirs together of this grace of life. This husband has the responsibility to make sure that nothing comes along to destroy that. Biblical imperatives for the husband, an understanding headship, an unreserved honor, an undeterred companionship, and fourthly, but certainly not least, unhindered prayers, that your prayers be not hindered. You see, the husband is not just the physical head. He is the spiritual head of the home. He has a responsibility, not only for the wife's physical needs, but for the spiritual needs as well. I'll guarantee you this. He needs all the prayer power that he can get. And every marriage needs all the prayer power that it can get. Every couple needs all the prayer power that they can have because they're going to need all the spiritual support because they're certainly not going to get it from this world. If the relationship suffers, it's kind of like one of these unending circles. If the relationship suffers, the prayer life suffers. If the prayer life suffers, the relationship will suffer. They go hand in hand. It's vital it's vital in the husband. He's got that imperative that he's got to make sure that there's nothing there that'll hinder their prayer life, their relationship, their bond with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can look many places in Scripture. God gives us all kind of guidelines. Why did I choose this particular one? Well, because more than anything else, I think that when we look here, that we find that in this one, he's talking about when it's not easy. <laughs> in this particular one, it's the most challenging time. All of these things become much easier when you've got two Christians that are dwelling together in harmony, and the biblical directives are important to both of them. But I'm saying in a biblical marriage, the wife has certain imperatives that have been placed upon her life that regardless of how hard it is, if she wants a biblical marriage, then she's responsible for those things. Husbands, there are biblical imperatives that have been put upon your life. Folks, we need strong families we need strong homes. And I'm sorry, you know, these people think that, you know, that society is just going to be great and that somehow society is going to be better and a whole lot of people are going to be a whole lot happier. 
If Steve, Mary, Steve, there's nothing about, oh, there is a Steve here. <laughs> the truth is, is that they think they're going to be happier. But we can go back and we can look at other things. Remember some of those passages this morning when it talked about honoring the father and the mother. Remember, those are what God defines as fathers and mothers. But we find that when we go back there that it not only had an effect upon them, but if you study the scriptures, when they disobeyed, it had an effect upon the whole nation. The whole nation suffered as a result. We need to be setting an example. And I, you know, again, mothers, I wish you a very happy Mother's Day. But I believe one of the greatest ways that we can honor motherhood today is if we'll get back to regardless of what this world is doing, we need to stand up for what God says. We need biblical homes, biblical marriages, biblical families, biblical moms and dads. And this is something that honoring mom and honoring dad is not something that can take place one day a year. Thank God for that special day. But it's all hypocrisy. If it doesn't, if it's not something that's going to be a part of our lives day by day by day by day, every day of the year then that special day can mean something. We've got so much to be thankful for. I want to thank you moms that are godly moms. Those of you that are not moms, I want to thank you too, and I want to encourage you to be an example to the younger ones. Maybe you have children down the road somewhere, maybe not. There's always within the church family, there's a need for godly moms even if it's not their own natural children. And let me encourage you folks. Young people, don't be pulled in by the standards of this world today. Don't be drawn in thinking that it doesn't matter. It matters a lot. It matters a lot. They may call me one, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a homophobic. I mean, you know, they can fill the church up and I'll preach all of them the Word of God. I'll preach them the gospel if they want because they need to be saved just like I do and you do and everybody else does. Without Jesus Christ, there's no hope. But, you know, I don't tell them anything any different. Brother Steve, a guy came in and he had a, a problem with just going around killing people all the time. Well, you may come in and want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and just keep on killing people. Something's not right. If he truly comes to Christ, then that sin is going to be put away. You can't look at the Bible and not see it as sin unless you change the Bible. And so it's, not, it's just like any, any other sin. It just needs to be put away. People have problems with all kinds. People have addictions to all kinds of things in life. People can be addicted to drugs. They can be addicted to alcohol. And folks, they can be addicted to lust as well. And a lot of people are. But we need... Biblical marriages, not to be redefined, but one man, one woman, wherever. That's the way God wants it. That's the way we need to define it. Starts, we said this morning, right here, each and every one of us, 
husbands, wives, sons, daughters, moms, dads. We've all got a role in the family. And we're all either man or woman, right? <laughs> Everybody here fits one of those categories. And so these biblical things fit your life in some way. And I trust and pray this Mother's Day that they can be an encouragement to you. world might be gone mad. They might be redefining it all. But we've still got God's Word. We've still got God's plan. We can still live it that way in spite of what the world is doing out there around us. Father, we thank you this evening for this time that you've given us, for our time and your Word this evening. Lord, I know it's always when we stretch it across two services, it's sometimes not as easy, but I trust and pray that these thoughts both this morning and this evening will tie together. Lord, just to encourage all of these that are here, Lord, that it really is worthwhile to do things your way. If we're going to honor moms, it's not going to be just by giving them a box of chocolates or giving them a card. It's going to be by honoring them and what you define motherhood as all the days of our life. I pray that you'll help us to do that. I pray that you'll help us to strive to have biblical homes. Each and every one of us here, whether we're husbands or wives or sons or daughters or moms or dads, or however we fit into it, help us, Lord. Sometimes it may be in a home of our own that there's nobody else there at that point in time. Lord, your, your biblical imperatives, they can still be being put to practice in our lives even at that time. Help us, Lord. Help us that we might be able to have homes that would be strengthened because we know that Lord, our church will never be any stronger than the families that make it up. We're saying in Christ's name we pray. Amen.